right. Well, welcome again to Guerrilla Discipleship. My name is Kevin Baker. I get to be the host, and I have the pleasure of introducing to you uh, today, actually, my coach. He uh, coaches me. This is Chris Galanos. Chris is uh, down in Texas with his family, wife, and I think two kids. Is that right? Right. Two daughters. Yeah, two daughters. Uh, he recently moved from Lubbock, Texas to where? Dallas? Dallas area. Yeah. So, uh, and uh, Chris, I met Chris about a year ago. Uh, Chris, you may have read his book. If not, I, I encourage you to read it. It's called From Mega Church to Multiplication. Uh, and you're going to get to know Chris a little bit. I was just telling Chris how we got to this uh, title of Guerrilla Discipleship. And by the way, it's not the primate discipleship. It's, it's kind of the guerrilla warfare. And the idea is to unleash the church, the everyday ordinary Christian into the discipleship instead of an institutional view where we have just professionals out trying to do things or, or whatever. So anyway, uh, Chris, I'm just honored that you would be here. Um, and for those of you who don't know, the church that, uh, that Chris planted, and I'll have him tell you about this, but the church that Chris planted, because I'm not sure he'll brag on himself well, uh, was uh, at, at one point one of the fastest growing churches uh, and, and uh, just an amazing thing. And I, uh, part of the reason why I want Chris to be here is um, not only I have learned so much from Chris, but I think his story of how God led him first to plant a church, then to basically move from that mega church to a multiplication model is going to bless you. So Chris, would you just introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us, tell me, I, I really haven't heard this. I think at one point you worked for Microsoft. So how did you get from Microsoft to pastoring a church? Great question. Kevin, it's great to be here with you guys and to, to speak to your audience. It's, it's definitely an honor. Thanks for having me. So uh, yeah, so as a teenager, I was just really into computers and we got our first computer. I think, Kevin, I was like 12 or 13. And, uh, you know, the internet was not new, but there weren't tons of people on the internet back, back at that time. And, uh, but I really... I was uh, kind of into sports and I loved being on the computer and so started uh, out there and about a year or two later I started in the summers working at an internet service provider doing technical support. Wow. And uh, that just led into some other things started doing some computer programming met somebody in town that does subcontract work for Microsoft and they asked if I wanted to join them and I was I think 15 or 16 at the time but teach a college course. Uh, through this um, subcontracting company on Visual Basic, a Microsoft programming language. All right. So basically, we are talking to a genius today. This is the uh, this is the the uh, Bill Gates uh, interview. I didn't even realize it. That's amazing. So that's one. So okay. So your your plan was to just go into uh, I guess some kind of IT or or computer. I got a computer science degree, Kevin, even at Texas Tech. And yes, the plan was just to do something in the IT field, maybe own some kind of a consulting company or an IT firm, something like that. And how did you go from there to, hey, me and some <laughs> friends are planting a church? Well, the Lord set me on fire when I was uh, 16 years old, just through watching my dad be set on fire, it really set me on fire. One of the catalysts, uh, Kevin, for that was a study by Henry Blackaby called Experiencing God that yeah. maybe you and your audience has heard of yeah. and really just set us ablaze. And uh, I was in youth ministry at that time and then graduated, uh, became a part of a co local college ministry, Kevin, and just was eaten up with it. I was leading wow. worship. I was there every time the doors were open and really began to feel like uh, God may be calling me into ministry. And so in the world that I come from, the next step is always you go to seminary. <laughs> so right. so, uh, so after feeling kind of that call from the Lord, we moved from Lubbock to Fort Worth to go to seminary. Wow. All right. And so how did you did uh, wh what was the sign from God, the, the, the word from God as to why you went back to Lubbock? 
to plant? How did that how yeah. did that work out? Kevin, that was not the plan at all. Because <laughs> oh. usually when people leave Lubbock, they don't come, you know, they don't always come back. <laughs> if you're if your listeners don't know Lubbock where that is, it's in West Texas. It's flat. It's all dirt when you fly in. You're going to Lubbock usually for Texas Tech. That's maybe, That's even though I'm from there, maybe one of the only reasons. <laughs> so uh, but yeah, so the plan wasn't to come back to Lubbock. My wife is not from Lubbock. Uh, the plan, Kevin, initially was. In seminary, we kind of felt the Lord leading us to start a church, kind of a long story there. But we were thinking either in uh, Frisco, which is in the Dallas area, or Round Rock, which is where Dell Computers is. And I thought, that would fit, you know, I could reach out to computer people like me. And so we were thinking one of those two places. And then um, I had a a friend, kind of a mentor in in seminary that uh, we went out to, you know, grab some coffee one time. And he just just asked this question, Kevin. He said, have you ever considered... Uh, going back to your hometown to do what you're thinking about doing in Frisco or Round Rock. I'm like, no, my hometown, there's lots of churches there. And I hadn't really thought about it. He said, the Lord's just impressed upon my heart to just encourage you maybe to think about it. Kevin, we went back home, drove around the loop that goes around the city, prayed about it. And we felt a strong sense from the Lord that he had spoken to my mentor, Sam, and we were supposed to go back to our hometown and plant a church. Wow. All right. So I want to I want to get that story out because it's a great story. And I hope people will read Megachurch to Multiplication because it tells a little bit more of the story. But so you go back and and how did you get the core people that you were starting the church with? So because I'm from Lubbock, I just knew some Christians that just weren't really actively involved in a church. Our big thing, Kevin, was we didn't want to pull people from other churches. Right. We wanted to start with people that weren't involved in church, and, and our, our desire was to aim toward reaching people that weren't connected to a church. So I reached out to some of my friends from college ministry that hadn't really connected to a church since college ministry. And there was about, not a lot of us, Kevin, maybe 20 of us that started together. All right. Well, and so, the first meeting, and then it kind of expanded to 20 to 30 in the core group. And so give a give just a snapshot of you start on on that day. How how quickly did, uh, did and, and it's eLife Church, Experience Life yeah, Church, experience which life. I think right. I've heard you say came out of uh, the whole experiencing God kind yeah. of you just wanted people to experience the life that we have in, in, in Christ or can yeah. have. Right. All right. So from the from the moment that you started, when did you realize Hey, this thing is taken off. <laughs> well, so there was so back to the very first meeting, Kevin. As you know, there was twelve of us in a living room, and I just mentioned this. I don't know why I did. I guess it was the Lord, but it seemed impossible. To all of us. I just mentioned, hey guys, I think there's twelve of us in my living room. I think we need to pray for ten thousand in the next ten years. I'm sure they were laughing on the inside, even though they wouldn't laugh at me outwardly <laughs> to not hurt my feelings, you know, but like Lubbock's not a huge town, Kevin. There's not like huge churches in Lubbock or anything, but they 10,000 in 10 years. This guy's crazy. But we think we're, we're in a prayer meeting, Kevin. So you have to believe that. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> That's possible, right. right? Yeah. So God, God could do this. It doesn't seem likely to us, but he could do it. And so Kevin, we started praying there in the living room that in the next 10 years, we could see 10,000 people come to faith in Jesus Christ in my hometown. And so, uh, so we're just, you know, we're excited, but we're thinking there's no way. Well, fast forward a couple months, we had a couple of preview meetings, Kevin, before our grand opening. Like we'd meet one, on one Sunday a month, once in June, once in July, once in August, grand opening. At our first uh, preview meeting in June, I think we went from about a core group of 20 to 30 to 60. Wow. Our second preview meeting, there was 120. Our third preview meeting, there was like 160. And our grand opening, there was 330. Now, we were told by our church planning coaches, expect about half to come back the week after your grand opening, Kevin, because your grandma's coming from her church to support you, right, and right. your core team's family's all coming to cheer you on, but they're not going to stay. So I'm like, okay, we launched with 330. It'll probably go down to 150. We had just over 300 the, ne- the next week. 
Wow. By Easter, the following year, we had 800 and in our one year anniversary, we were running about 1500. You know, I, for those people who are listening that's, that have never pastored a church, to go from, um, and I think you can imagine this, but to go from 12 people to within a year, 800, um, I, I, there's a lot of, oh my gosh, what do we do? How do we get this? What, you, we, you know, fee, meeting the needs of all those people. How did you accomplish all that? Not very well, Kevin. <laughs> I mean, uh, you know, it was just me initially and just the core group. And so, Kevin, we were just taking it as it came, doing the best we could. Wow. And we were kind of, we started out with like a cell church vision. We really wanted to stay small and multiply, but then people just flooded our weekend gatherings. And so we kind of almost redirected and said, oh, wow, people are coming. We're sharing the gospel every weekend. People are, uh, our second week, Kevin, after the grand opening, we baptized like 20 people. Wow. And we baptized a lot of people that first year. So, Kevin, I would just say we took it a week at a time. We did the best that we could, but um, you know, we didn't know what we were doing. <laughs> so, wow. Uh, well, God yeah. certainly did. So, let me ask you this, Chris. These are these are uh, people that were not in church that are coming to this church that you've planted. What was the what was the attraction? Why, why do you think that these lost people or people that were far from God, however they would call themselves, people that weren't interested in church, maybe they've been de-churched, what were you doing that people were saying, I, I'm going to go experience uh, this church? So, Kevin, we've gotten that question a lot over the years, and, and maybe the best way to answer it is just to tell you what people were telling us. Okay. Other than me, kind of. I have, I have some ideas too, but I think they're connected to what people were saying. A couple of things people were saying. Number one, we were young in age, meaning, uh, Kevin, I was 25 years old. Yeah. So what, you know, Rick Warren teaches in the Purpose Driven Church and other, uh, you know, curriculum, if you follow any of the Purpose Driven stuff, is just that usually you're attracting people, you know, 10 years on either side of your age, right. you know. And so, as you know, most senior pastors are, you know, 50 plus. And so a lot of 20s and 30s weren't connected in church. And I think a pastor or a staff that was very young was part of the draw. I think people said that. I think the second thing, Kevin, was they felt like it was uh, very casual. Mm. So you could kind of come as you are. Our, our kind of our motto was no perfect people allowed. They felt like they wouldn't be judged when they walked in, regardless of your past, regardless of what you've struggled with. We would say, come as you are, you know. So I think they felt they felt welcome there. And, and maybe they had struggled with that in, you know, at other times. And then also another thing, Kevin, and I'll just leave it with three for now, they told us, is that they felt like they could understand huh. for the first time. So they, they would say things like, I've been in churches before, but I don't understand what that guy's saying. You know, I don't know much about right. the Bible. I don't understand the Bible. But Kevin, like we would use the New Living Translation and we try to speak in a very easy way to understand. And so people would often talk like, I've just never understood church before what the guy's saying. And I feel like it, it e-life, not only do I understand, but it's changing my life. So there, I mean, I'm just going to make this proposition. Uh, there are spiritually hungry people in the U.S. People are spiritually hungry, but there are some barriers maybe that we don't even realize in the institutional church or, or, or the, the existing churches that are, as you say, sometimes age can be an issue. But, uh, but he, I love that idea that, that when they came to Eli, Experience Life, uh, I know it kind of is E-Life now. I think that's more where you are, but Experience Life Church, they were getting something that was like, this is relatable to me. This feels like home to me. This feels like my life and, and it feels authentic to me. Um, all right. So you grow and you eventually baptize. I think I remember uh, you get you get your 10,000 goal in eight years. That's right. 
And then you're setting your goal for the next 10 years or you're getting ready for your 10 year anniversary. What, what happened? How did you go from, man, God is doing amazing things to, and, and I, I don't wanna preempt you on this, but where you transitioned the church to a completely different model, what happened? Kevin, great question. So, uh, you know, we, we get that a lot. So, you know, we, Kevin, we were not dissatisfied with what we were seeing. I mean, we loved the church that we were a part of. We loved what God was doing. But in year eight, when we crossed that 10,000 mark, we just started praying. What I always tell pastors or Christians is a dangerous prayer. And the prayer was, Lord, you've done infinitely more than we could have asked or imagined in the first eight years. Yeah. Lord, what do you want our vision to be for the next 10 years? Not Kevin, Lord, uh, we did 10,000, 10 years. Let's do it. Let's do it again. And yeah. we, we're kind of picking it and asking God to bless it, Kevin. No, we kind of took the approach of, Lord, what do you want to do? And so, Kevin, that led us into a season of just praying and fasting, saying, Lord, what's your vision? Where, where is this? You are our senior pastor, Jesus. Where are you wanting to take this thing? And then, Kevin, I would just say a number of influences came into our lives, my life and the life of our leadership team at that time, like hearing about these movements of God, multiplication movements that were breaking out around the world being introduced to my mentor, Stan, who's been a catalyst in, in, you know, in many movements around the world. Um, reading just the New Testament again during the season of asking that question with kind of fresh eyes and looking at the Great Commission and asking, are we doing what Jesus said? Are we accomplishing our mission? Are we making disciples that multiply or just drawing huge crowds? You know, And so, Kevin, between watching what um, was happening overseas, hearing missionaries talk about what God was doing, prayer and fasting, reading the scriptures and so on, we felt like the Lord was leading us to pray in the next 10 years for not another 10,000, but for a million. Now, so did that come to you all at once? Was that the whole group just said, or, or did someone speak that first? Who had the courage to speak that first? <laughs> so Kevin, I would say that's definitely a season. It didn't happen all at once. If some of these influences were coming into my life, I was um, encouraging our leadership team to also be influenced by these things, whether it was videos or annual reports from uh, partners overseas or books. We started reading books together. And I would say, Kevin, over a, a, almost a season of six months to a year, God helped us to discover this together as a team. Okay. That this was the direction that he wanted us to go. Would you say just in your experience, would you say that that is uh, kind of normative for how God does lead churches in that way? That it's not, you know, hey, let's set aside this one weekend and we'll have a retreat. And, and uh, but it, it's a season of seeking God in prayer together, fasting, as you said, rereading maybe the scriptures. And, and it's not a quick fix. It's not a, oh, you know, we, we've got, uh, you know, our board's got a weekend away. We're hoping God's going to give us all the answers. Would you oh, say it's more normative to have what you're talking about, that it kind of really. begins to be released and, and uh, revealed in a different pattern? Yeah, Kevin, and I tell pastors all the time to look at Revelation 2 and 3 again. And Jesus said a number of things to these different churches. But one thing he said that was consistent, he consistently said it to all the churches is at the very end, if you have ears to hear, hear what the Spirit is saying to your church. So, Kevin, I tell pastors all the time, you've got to get down with your leaders on your knees and fast and pray and say, Lord, what are you saying to our church? And Kevin, acknowledging that what he said to you 10 years ago, he may say something different to you 10 years later or five years later. Just because you felt like you were supposed to do one thing a number of years ago doesn't mean that's what he's going to have you do forever. Right, you know what I mean? Right. In terms of methodology or your approach to reaching your city or something like that. So I absolutely, Kevin, think for us, 
you know, we, we write a book. And so they're like, oh my gosh, look at what they did. But Kevin, it was years in the making. Yeah. Right. Yeah. It always seems like it kind of, it's people you can read a book or hear a story and think that just, they just decided to do that overnight. Right. <laughs> the truth is Kevin, before we got to our 10 year anniversary, we were probably two to three years already into thinking about this, praying about this, figuring out, you know, what this is going to look like before even the big reveal at the 10 year anniversary. All right. So you come, God reveals this, this, uh, this vision, this, this, this idea of we need to reach a million people. So that's a, let me just say for, for anybody who is in a church that uh, isn't experienced life church, um, you know, we tend to vision along the lines of what do we think is possible? Yes. It seems to me that that vision is, is like your 10, like your original 10,000 vision is this is, in, how do we do this? I mean, could you fit a million people in your building? You know, Kevin, we thought the million in 10 years seemed easier than 10,000 in 10 years because <laughs> we had nobody, you know, we, I mean, yeah. it, so in other words, whether it's a million or 10,000 or 20,000, it's a God-sized vision. Right. The key is allowing God to give you his vision for your people. That was that prayer we prayed. God, what do you want our vision to be? Rather than Kevin, kind of the initial approach is, let's just go for 10,000. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Like, Lord, what are you doing? And we're, we're following your lead. All right. So how does that vision then translate to where you got you? God's bringing people into your life, Stan, and some other people into your life. He's given you this. Uh, your team has got a vision for a million people. Uh, I know that there were, I know from talking to you, there's been, uh, you know, there was just a stream of influences that God was using to speak to you. But at some point you came to a decision that we can't keep, for, for us to accomplish that vision, we can't keep doing what we've been doing. And could you say a word about that? Kevin, that's it. So it wasn't like we got together and decided, hey, we just don't want to do what we've been doing because we liked what we've been doing. God just gave us a vision that helped us realize we can't even keep doing what, we're, what we've been doing if that vision's from God, right? If God has spoken to us and told us to pray for a million in 10 years, what we've been doing is great, but it can't accomplish that. Like it's, it's off. So Kevin, we got together and I wrote down with our leadership team in the room, about 12 or 13 of us, I wrote down on a whiteboard at the top, a million in 10 years. And I just said, guys, do we all agree God's given us this vision through fasting and prayer and so on? Yes, we agree. And I just said, so what are we going to do? <laughs> what does he want us to do to aim toward this? And so Kevin, we initially started by thinking about how we would reach that by doing what we had been doing, because what we had been doing was great. Kevin, it took us about 30 seconds before we were all like, we can't. If yeah. that vision's from God, we can't keep doing what we've been doing as good as it was, Kevin. And so then we started going down the whiteboard listening. So what are some things we could do? Well, maybe if we did something more online, then you could reach. We thought, no. And, you know, so we started and then we realized, uh, Kevin, what we had been exposed to, this thing they call disciple making movements. We realized it was our only option. So in disciple making movements is essentially talking about multiplying disciples in churches, not just adding people to weekend worship services, kind of like we had done. So we came to believe, Kevin, nothing wrong with what we had been doing. But if God has given us this vision, we only have one choice uh, to accomplish it, and that's to multiply disciples in churches uh, to reach the million people. All right. So so, Chris, th this is going to be a little bit out of your zone, but I know you've coached enough folks. So I'm pastoring right now a church that's 215 years old. Wow. Uh, your church was 10 years old and you were the founding pastor. Yes. I, I So there's some other church leaders. There's other pastors listening to us uh, today and they're going, there is no way I could convince my board or my staff or whatever. 
But even for you, I, I want to I want to make sure that everybody hears this. I mean, you've got something going. I mean, you you know you're you're in. Uh, I think you're in Out Outreach Magazine's you know list of fastest growing churches. You've got you've got sort of the fame of success. You've got and 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 it's not just the. I don't mean that in a in a worldly sense. I mean God's doing great things. You're seeing people come to faith. But you have to, in order to do what you you're you're being called to, you have to let go of that. And, and I've heard you say even now, it wasn't like you didn't like it. I mean, it was working. And, and so tell, could you say something about how do we in the church uh, with a reputation that, man, we don't change very easily. How do you let go of what you've always known in order to go into something that you, you really don't know? Yeah, Kevin, great question. I would just say this. It's regardless of what size church anybody pastors that's listening, regardless of how old the church is, regardless of whether you're the founder or how long you've been there, your job is fairly simple, but it actually feels difficult. And it's this, all you've got to do is hear from Jesus and do exactly what he says. So Kevin, when people read the book, sometimes they contact me thinking I'm going to try to convince them to do what we've done. I never do that. Yeah. I try to convince them that they should do what we've done before we made this transition, which is get down on our knees right. with our leaders and say, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to our church? And we'll do whatever you say. So, Kevin, that's simple. You just got to hear from God. But it can be really hard if God tells you to do something difficult. <laughs> but you, it's simple to know what to do. It's just it can be hard to live it out. So, Kevin, I, you know, I couldn't say in any given context what somebody should do other than I think they should get down on their knees and have ears to hear what the spirit is saying to their church. And Kevin, if it looks like what we've done, great. If it's totally different, they should do that. Kevin, I think what a lot of times we're missing is we keep doing what we've always done. As a result, we keep doing what we've always gotten. And we haven't stopped to say, Lord, are we doing what you want us to do? Is there something you want us to tweak? Do you want us to turn around? I mean, who's in charge of our church, Kevin? And if right. it's not up, it's, if it's the Lord, then Kevin, we should have regular seasons of saying, Lord, we heard you say this a year or two ago. Is this what you're, is this still what the spirit is saying to our church, Kevin? Or is the spirit saying something different? And Kevin, whether they tell them to do this, that, or the other, I'm not as concerned with that. What I don't want to see happen, Kevin, is so many times books come out and things like that. And people want to bypass prayer and fasting and yeah. figuring out what the Lord wants you to do. And you just want to do what Rick Warren's doing. You just want to do what this guy's doing. You just want to do, Kevin, that, that's faddish. You know, it's about chasing yeah. fads. To me, what's been powerful about our journey is it one in the morning. I mean, we were praying through the night every week until 2 a.m. Uh, and then till midnight, we backed it up a little bit. We were here, we were listening to God saying, Lord, what do you want to do? And Kevin, we haven't done it perfectly, but the best we knew how, we tried to implement what the Lord wanted us to do. Let me just say this. I don't know if I've ever said this to you, Chris. I, like I said, I've been spending, uh, Chris trained me in, in the disciple-making movement elements, uh, trained me and, and uh, actually 30 of our folks here at the church. Um, and, and it's a whole wonderful story of how we even got connected. I think it's a move of the spirit how I even got connected with Chris. But <laughs> Uh, and now Chris, Chris, like I said, is, is a coach uh, for, for me and others on a weekly basis. But I, I want you to, to know, Chris, you, here's what struck me from the very first time that I sat and listened to you lead us in that training is, I, and, and this is a weird thing to say, I don't know that I've ever met anybody more gentle than you are. Um, I've seen you in these conversations and you, you just have a gentle approach about you. And yet you are absolutely clear about, about several things, about who God is, about what the scriptures, who, what the scriptures are, and, and, and just what you said. So I, I've loved the, the uh, I, in, in my uh, 
my seminary, I had a Hebrew professor that we called the Hebrew, uh, I mean, we called him the uh, velvet hammer <laughs> because um, he, he would, in a kind and gentle way, crush you. You know, he wasn't giving you any breaks. I'm not sure if I'd call you the velvet hammer. Maybe I'm not taking Hebrew from you or not. Uh, but, but I will say this, I, I just have appreciated as, as I, and I can just attest to this, as we went through the training, and, and if you've not done any disciple-making training, uh, movement training, it's a big paradigm shift. And, and for pe especially pastors or leaders who've been doing church for a long time, and I remember a, a bunch of us just going, wait a minute, Chris, wait a minute. And, you know, you were always very gentle when you came back, but incredibly firm. Like, you know what? This is what the scripture says. This is who God is. And I, I hear that again in you. And uh, I, I just want to thank you for that. I think that's what's helped you be such an effective leader. And I know it's been a, a blessing in, in our lives, uh, in my life and in our staff's life. So again, so here you are, you're hearing from God. You, you have committed yourself to hearing from God and God begins to give you a vision that you can't get there the way you've gotten to where you are. You've got to take another route. You, you've heard some other things. So just can you give a little bit of the nuts and bolts of that? You, you had to go from, okay, we can't get there the way we've using the same tools and the same patterns, this attractional model that we've been using. We're not going to be able to do that. How does that play out? And how long did it take to play that out? Yeah, great question. So because once we got done with the whiteboard and we decided we've got to, um, we've got to execute on some kind of a multiplication approach, Kevin, at that point, we thought we need training because <laughs> we only know how to do what we've done. <laughs> you know, we don't know what, when we're hearing about what God's doing, Kevin, in India and in China and Africa, it's amazing to us, but we don't understand it very well. I mean, we, we knew that if we want to multiply, not just add, we were good at adding, Kevin. Yeah. We, if we wanted to multiply, not add, we need to learn from those that are multiplying. And so Stan, my mentor, one of the uh, you know, movement coaches that kind of travels the world helping to catalyze these movements, took us through a disciple-making training, Kevin, that gave us some ideas of ways of ways we might implement this and of principles that we need to uh, make sure are a part of any implementation of this. So we went through that, Kevin, together, kind of got the principles, recognized you can apply the principles in various ways, but the, print, the, multiplic the multiplicative disciple-making principles are very important. So we kind of got that, Kevin, in our DNA, and then week by week, we started to kind of sort through what does this look like. That led up to a 10-year anniversary celebration in the Texas Tech basketball coliseum where they used to play because we had 10 campuses. We needed one place that could fit us all. So we got the coliseum and we just cast vision there for the million in 10 years. And this is, you know, disciple making movements, the only path there that we see. And so there's going to be some changes, but it's going to be exciting, you know. And then, Kevin, we just started going through series on the weekend and, and um, you know, just uh, casting vision to groups of people on the side to help the church kind of catch the vision, recognizing, Kevin, most people that journeyed with us in the first vision probably wouldn't want to take this journey. And we understood why, because they were there because they enjoyed the first journey, you know, right, right. so they might look for a church that has a similar journey, which we, to we totally were prepared for and understood. But Kevin, we were trying to do the best we could to cast vision to people in our church for what this could look like. So yeah, to, to answer your question about how long it took several years um, this process did. And obviously we're still in the process of casting vision to folks and, and bringing uh, new people along. But uh, that's kind of how it worked for us. It started with the big event at the 10 year anniversary. We cast the vision and then we started making changes. And really, Kevin, the, the, what influenced the change was every ministry area was to ask the question in prayer to the Lord, 
Lord, what do you want me to do in my area to leverage it for multiplying disciples and churches? So the kids ministry was asking that, Kevin. The youth ministry was asking. I wasn't telling them what they should do. I was having them listen to the Lord and tell me what they thought they should do because I wasn't even sure. With our weekend services, Kevin, how are we going to leverage those to multiply disciples and churches? With our small groups, so we started asking that about all different areas of ministry. And then, Kevin, we just started trying some things that we felt like the Lord was you know, leading us to try to start aiming us in this direction of multiplication. So I would think that, Chris, one of the things I've been around church, uh, I've been a pastor for 30 years, and, and one of the things that I know um, is that multiplication scare, it's not that we don't want multiplication, but multiplication can scare the daylights out of us for a variety of reasons. And one of the ways, now this is my, uh, you know, this is just Kevin speaking, but one of the things that I think we do when we get scared is we get defensive, we can get defensive. And one of the, the defensive mechanisms around multiplication is, uh, oh, all, all this thing does is care about numbers. Hmm. And so can you speak to that? I mean, you, you, there's such an emphasis on multiplication. You know, your whole book is from megachurch to multiplication. And you were, in some respects, by most church standards, you were multiplying. I mean, you know, to go from, you know, zero to 10,000 in 10 years is certainly multiplication that most churches are, are not experiencing. Most churches are like, hey, if we could get another 100 people in a year, we would be doing amazing uh, that would be a that would be a bonus for the pastor, you know. I mean, he's getting a raise at the, at that point, but um, or she. But but the reality is, this this emphasis on multiplication. Now it makes sense to you to, to hear you talk about it because God was saying we wanted to go up to a million, but multiplication is deeply embedded in this disciple making movement strategy. Could you say a few words about that? Yeah, so it's about the numbers, Kevin. I would say folks that are doing addition may care as much or more about numbers than folks that are doing multiplication because we're hoping more people come to our church. I'm actually saying that our concern, the concern in the legacy church model, and the concern in multiplicative disciple, disciple making models about numbers, I think it's a good thing. I know a lot of people are down on it, but I think it's an indication you care about your family and friends and community. I mean, yeah. Kevin, if we're not trying to count to figure out if we're reaching our city for Christ, I don't know how we're obeying the Great Commission. You know what I'm saying? Because Jesus told them, essentially, go make disciples of, and he gave them a number, yeah. <laughs> all nations, which they would have heard, you know, being at that time about 200 million people, Kevin. Yeah. So he's kind of saying, hey, I want you to go make disciples, and I don't want you to just add one or two. I need you to go get 200 million. Kevin, I'm going, whoa, yeah. <laughs> whoa. Well, but then you get you have Acts the book of Acts, you see in Acts, uh, in Acts 2, it talks about this number of people were baptized. So I think sometimes, Kevin, that numbers thing is almost um, an excuse for not, in, through prayer and fasting and hard work, pursuing the lost in your area, yeah. honestly. I think we should be concerned about the state of our flocks. Okay, so anyway, but having said that, I think uh, multiplication we see in the, um, we see it in the DNA of the New Testament. We see it in Acts, we see it especially in um in the uh, kingdom parables, in the gospels, which are super uh, uh, cool to study, Kevin, after you've heard about what's happening in Africa, because a lot of our African brothers and sisters say what's happening with millions coming to Christ in our countries is similar to what Jesus uh, said in these kingdom parables. So you kind of read the kingdom parables with a fresh lens and you start seeing the mustard seed. It yeah. starts out small and it's the largest tree in the garden and birds come and nest in its branches. Kevin, that's how it says, that, that's what it says the kingdom of heaven is like. 
And then you've got the sower and the seed. And that fourth soil that we want to find, they bear fruit, what, Kevin? 30, 60, 100 times. That's a multiplication word. (laughs) Times what's sown and so on and so forth. So you see multiplication, I think, throughout the New Testament. I think sometimes, Kevin, multiplication will happen naturally if we don't erect barriers that will keep it from happening. And I think in an American church context, having so much money and the ability to hire anybody you, you want, ability be, be able to build as many buildings as you want, we can do things that can impede multiplication that would just naturally or organically happen in believers that are saved, set on fire for Jesus and reading their New Testament. Man, that is so good. All right, so let me just say we've been uh, we've been talking to Chris Galanos. We've been talking about uh, how he God led him to start a church in uh, in Lubbock, Texas, that went from basically zero to ten thousand in ten years. But this is a great place to make a shift. <music>